We're going to open up to Matthew chapter 6. We had been plugging away through Matthew chapter 5, and again, keeping in, in reference um, that the, the whole beginning of our study through this section of the book of Matthew, and hopefully forward uh, beyond this, is coming from that chapter in Luke that we read, where Christ gives the parable of the uh, servant. And that the servant, when he is done with his work, uh, does what is expected of him. Um, his reply to the master was, I'm not seeking gratification. I'm not seeking something beyond what I am deserving. I'm simply doing what it was my duty to do. Okay, and we talked about that as in our Christian walk and our duty to serve and to follow God, to do what he's commanded us to do. Um, we talked a little bit on Wednesday night as we went into uh, the book of Genesis. We talked about um, the idea of uh, covenant and what that is. Uh, we talked about it as being an integral part of the book of Genesis and then throughout the first five books of the Bible and obviously throughout the entire Bible that this covenantal relationship with us and God is evident in many ways. And covenants in general, as we see them in the Old Testament, especially in the Pentateuch and the first five books of the Bible, in areas like that, we see them as uh, two-way relationships, okay, where God will say, I expect you to do this, and their response is, we will do that, okay? So you see with the Ten Commandments, you see with uh, Deuteronomy, the famous and well-known verses of Deuteronomy, when um, Joshua is talking to uh, the people of Israel there, and he says, this day, choose you what you want to do, life or death, Okay, I'll lay it before you. Okay, that's a covenant relationship. That's where he is talking to the people and reminding them of the implications of what God had covenanted with them way back when they first got out of Egypt. And he said, you follow my rules, you follow my laws, you serve me and no one else. And I promise you, I will bless you, I will multiply you, I will secure you. If you don't, you will die. <laughs> you know, it's very clear. It's very cut and dry. It's always... Uh, always interesting to me how stupid we can be um, that we can go through life with the same covenantal principles. God telling us, you do this, you will die. That's, that's the oldest statement in the Bible. Okay, Going all the way back to Genesis, when God tells Adam and Eve, if you do this, you will die. And we fast forward some thousands of years later, and the same statement is there. You do this, and you will live. You do this, and you will die. So we are looking here today at living, okay, and we're looking at actions that bring about life. And so as he gets into chapter 6 of Matthew chapter 5, what is our duty to serve God, how we do that? We've already looked at chapter 5 when we talked about the principles, and these are some of the things that we addressed in chapter 5 just as a recap. We talked about being salt and light, which is basically being representatives of the kingdom of God, that how we live in this world, we are to be representatives Salt and light are not obscure things, okay? They're not hidden truths. They are not secret societies, okay? Tr salt and light are very much visible and present in our everyday life. And we really hit on that um, beyond just our meals and candles. You know, we got really deep into that. Salt and light being representatives of the kingdom. We also see about anger and reconciliation, about uh, how we interact with one another, Lust and purity about individual desires and their wrong placements. Divorce and faithfulness. We talked about keeping the 
the institution of marriage and beyond that what it means to be faithful to God in a bigger spiritual sense that we are married to Christ and therefore we are to be faithful to him in our marriage. We talked about oaths and truthfulness and about the just concept of honesty and truthfulness that Christians should maintain, okay? Uh, which is probably one of the least maintained things in, in our Christian realm. So retaliation and generosity about how uh, we should react to people who are uh, striking out against us, that there is a manner in which the Christian acts and it is not in retaliation. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay and lastly, we talked about hate and love, about the uh, desires of the Jews to twist the scriptures into giving a commandment that it's okay for you to hate your enemy, and Christ coming in and upending that, uh, and I should say, I guess, not upending it, but uh, putting it back on its right end, okay? It had already been upended, it had been changed, it had been um, changed by those Jewish teachers, and here Christ was saying, no, I say to you, you don't just love your, uh, your neighbors, you love your enemies as well, and that you do good for them, you serve them, you help them. So, as we saw those, he's kind of giving some very, I guess if you're looking at it, he's giving some very narrow purviews on how we live life. Okay, some very big issues that he addresses and he narrows it down exactly how a follower of Christ should address these things. Okay? Now he's going to get into chapter 6 and he's actually going to put some of these things into application. Okay? So he gave us some applications in some of those. And in fact, as you see when we're talking about in this next section, the first three things that he addresses as far as practical application of this are giving, praying, and fasting. Giving, praying, and and fasting. That's the first three things he now kind of changes his direction on and says, now let's talk about these things. Giving, praying, and fasting. And what I kind of put out here from this is that these are the three main activities that should make up the Christian life. Giving, praying, and fasting are the three main activities that should make up the Christian's walk, the Christian's life, the Christian's daily Things Okay, if we looked at our day planner, okay, and we pulled it out and we jotted down what our notes were going to be for that day. I don't know if y'all do this. Um, it's very, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting thing. Okay, so I grew up and my dad always did this. He always had a day planner. Okay, and I thought it was so neat until I tried to do that and realized that's just ain't my thing. Okay, my day planner is to look at it and go, oh yeah, uh, yeah, and, and, and I don't have time to write that down. But what I have found is that I do the same kind of thing, though I just do it with you know modern uh, technology, uh, 21st century stuff. I put about 15 different reminders in my phone to remind me on subsequent days to do certain things because if not. I will forget those things. Uh, so I try not to, uh, I, or I try to impress on people, don't hold it against me if I don't remember something, okay? Because for some reason, those little synapses in my brains don't fire really well. Uh, and so I have to put 15 reminders, and it always uh, cracks up people who are around me because it's like if they tell me, hey, remind me later on this morning, we need to check on something, I immediately pull out my phone and start throwing it in there with about three alarms. Um, and they always laugh about it. It's like, look, I'm just telling you, if I don't do this, it will not happen, okay? I know you just told it to me, and I know that we're planning on revisiting this in five minutes, but I am guaranteeing you, it will not be there in five minutes. I will get distracted by some shiny object, and it will be done for, okay? <laughs> So, 
it, it is important for us if we're looking at our daily lives, we pull out something, we remind ourselves of stuff, and we stick sticky notes all over the place. People have day planners. I have found something very interesting in a journaling technique that uh, I found recently called bullet journaling, which is a thing if you're laying out your daily things and you cross them. I don't know why that does it for me, but sometimes it does. Uh, I get out of the habit of it, but it, it helps. Okay, it helps remind me. You lay it out in front of you. You keep it out at work. You constantly are looking at there. Okay, have I reached that little X today? Okay, but we do that for natural things. We do that in our lives to keep our lives structured, to keep our days structured, so that we remember things, we do things, we accomplish things. Okay. There's a little part of all of us, I think, and some more than others, and that's probably my thing and why I like this form of my day calendar a little bit better is because I love checking stuff off, okay, putting those little X's. At the end of the day, if I've got like five or six X's there, I'm like, yes, I feel accomplished, okay? Even if that was like, go pick up dog food, X, boom, accomplished, crushed it, got that one done, okay? So I think there's a little bit in all of us that has that kind of, I want to feel like I've done something today. So if you can put it down on a little piece of paper and check it off and go, oh, look at all that I did. How great. You know, I feel so good. All right. So when we're talking about pulling out our day planner for the day, where do we pencil in giving, praying, and fasting? Because those are the three main activities that we as followers of Jesus Christ are to do. Where do we plug those in at? We kind of saw as we looked in uh, chapter 5, we kind of see two of these activities at least displayed in, a, uh, in, in an action here. Okay, So in Matthew chapter 5 and 42, we had where he says, Give to them that ask of thee, and from him that would borrow of thee turn not away. So he's already kind of visited the giving thing. He said, you know, instead of retaliating, be generous. Um, instead of fighting back, be generous. Give to those who ask of you. Don't try to argue. Don't try to fight with them. Just be very generous. He also talked about praying in, in, in verse 44 where he talks about loving your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you. So he's already kind of given us some, some areas where this plays out. Okay, we've already seen that. So how, do, how though do we do that on a daily basis? Okay. So we kind of looked at this, especially as we'll get into fasting later. We looked at this kind of in Lent, okay? When we were kind of going through that and doing some things with Lent, fasting and, and, and kind of changing some things around in our daily schedules for weeks at a time. During that Lent time, we talked about this, that you can see how it is fairly easy, even though we think it's not, fairly easy to structure your day in a way that is centering some time around God. That it is fairly easy for us to take portions or things in our day and structure them specifically around God, right? So we saw this. We talked about it in the first week when we gave up a meal, okay? One meal a day during that first fast when we talked about fasting for food. We said, okay, we'll give up lunch. And we said, and why do we do that? We give up lunch and in replacing lunch with that normal 30 minutes that we would be eating lunch, we replace that with... A time that we sat down and we read scripture, prayed, or did something of that manner. We just kind of did a repeal and replace, okay? We took out lunch and replaced it with a time frame of dedication and devotion to God, right? Okay, so it's easy for us to do that. In fact, when we got done that week, looking at that week, we thought it was going to be the hardest. And then we really realized that uh, turning off Facebook was really hard. And lastly, um, 
Uh, you know, not, not watching TV was really hard. Um, not listening to radio seemed to be, you know, it's kind of funny. The things that we thought were going to just be the most monumental things, actually, it was the easiest. Like, yeah, I could give up a meal, but boy, let me keep the radio off in my car. That was really problematic. But we noticed that we could do it. It was fairly easy when we got to the other side of it and realized that in that time frame, what we did was is we structured it to do something specifically um, oriented towards God. So it was really neat to me that I took out lunch and realized, you know what, I, I actually got through clinic and I didn't die as what I thought I would. Okay. And also it was really nice because I got in a place where I could shut my door. I'm not saying that I don't love being around everybody at work 24-7, okay? But 30 minutes where I just shut my door and read and prayed, yeah, that was very nice, okay? But this is the idea that we have. How do we structure our day through giving, praying, and fasting, okay? And it's not that we're doing every single one of those every single day, but how are we structuring our days to actually get those accomplished? And I don't think it is... I don't think it's a negative thing to speak of it in terms of something that you were trying to accomplish in that day. Okay. Now, if you take it in the wrong way, like we're going to see here, if you take it in the wrong way where, yes, all you are trying to do is check a box. Okay. Um, oh, well, I got to give today. So let me run by the Salvation Army and throw a bag of clothes out there and check. Now I'm done. Okay. We would say that would be the wrong way to accomplish that. Okay. But what if we were actually blending two of those together? What if we were taking time to pray in the morning that God would give us opportunities to give today? And then looking for those opportunities, executing those opportunities, desiring those opportunities. Well, I don't think that's a negative thing. I don't think it's negative to say you're looking to accomplish that today. Out of a heart of desiring to help other people. Okay? That was Christ's example. That was Christ's example for us. When we talk about being Christians, we're saying we're following Christ's example, right? That's what, that's what that means. Not what some dude 3,000 years or 2,000 years or 1,000 years later says was Christ's example. No, looking at Christ's example and saying, I'm going to mimic Christ's example. And what was his example? When he stopped after he had been preaching and walking and you had 5,000 people or more following after them, he stops and they're in the wilderness place and he looks on them and it says he has compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what does he do? He stops, he sits them down, and he feeds them all. Okay? Christ, in the moment that he saw the need, executed giving. Okay? He didn't say, let me wait, let me look for another time. Well, this is not my normal time to give. Well, it's not Sunday morning. Well, it's not. He just looked and said, you know what? I have compassion. I see an opportunity, and now I'm going to give. I'm going to enter into that space and give and help. So what's Christ's example? Well, he loved to give. He loved to help. He loved to try to be a blessing in that way. He doesn't, you know, shouldn't surprise us that every time we see him walking into cities... Um, he's sitting there and he's, there's people coming to him. He's healing all these people. There's something, there's, there is nothing beyond some, some very specific, I would say, prophecies about him. There is no other reason why he would do that. Okay. It was not necessary for him to go to the cross. He didn't need to heal millions of people or thousands of people or whatever to get to the cross. That wasn't, that wasn't a requirement. That wasn't in there as a step that he had to get through. 
He did it because he had love and compassion. And when he saw the need, he helped. He didn't have to feed those 5,000. There was nowhere it said, and before you get to the cross, make sure you take a left at Gethsemane and feed 5,000 people or else we're not, we're not going to make it there. Okay? It wasn't there. Now, again, there's prophecies that speak to things that he did, but it's not th- these things are not just the fulfillment of prophecy. And a lot of times when he fulfilled prophecy, it said, as it was written, because he filled prophecy. You know, those things were in there, like the gall get, being given to him on the cross and those kind of things. But so we don't get too far off course, let's look here at what he says in chapter 6. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and that thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly." So when we talk about alms, the, the idea of giving of alms is a, um, the, the word itself is meaning just generally charitable deeds, okay? be a very big word for it, charitable deeds. So when you see in the scriptures like in Acts, when Peter walks past the gate called Beautiful and he sees the man there who was begging of alms, okay, that's what the idea was. Give me some charity, give me some money, give me some food, do something for me, help me out. That was the idea behind giving of alms, okay, charitable deeds. The other way that you can view that word is also just simply and more kind of broadly as doing righteousness, okay? So giving and helping other people is a righteous Okay, Uh, that's something that you can take to the bank. It is a righteous act. So in that phrase, that word there, doing of alms, can just simply mean doing righteousness. This is kind of quoted out when you see Psalms chapter 106 and verse 3. It'll say, blessed are they that keep judgment and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Blessed is the man or the woman who is seeking to do righteousness at all times. And what does that mean? Well, that means in giving. That means in praying, that means in fasting, that means in all all the things that work out of God's indwelling righteousness, that is in our righteous acts. I know I'll probably just like mix up some prepositions or things there. But doing righteousness, blessed is the person that is doing that. Blessed is the person that is seeking after righteousness. I think we read that just a few verses back. So here he talks about giving, okay, giving to needy people, giving to people just in general. A lot of times we think of charitable deeds and we narrow them down as, oh, this person, this kind of person, these are the ones. And so then we go out and we try to find all the poor, the needy, the homeless, the sh- you know, all these people and round them all up and say, okay, these are the ones that we need to give to. And there are, if you look in the Bible, there are like four different groups of people that they specifically mention, okay? You have people who are poor and needy. Right? You have people who are fatherless, you have people who are widows, and you have people who are sojourners or refugees. Those were kind of the four big classifications in the Old Testament of people who were constantly remembered in the laws of God as people that needed help and you were to help them. Okay? 
In fact, as you go through and you read the Old Testament, number one, if you read it out of Exodus and you read it in the law given at Sinai, if you fast forward to Deuteronomy and you read it at uh, the reinitiation of the covenant in Deuteronomy, when you read all these things, you'll start going through Leviticus, going through Numbers. I know those are books we don't normally look at, okay? And I know you just probably forgot they were even there. But there's things in there that he talks about, about giving and caring for these groups of people. And it is a testimony, a continuous testimony through all time because these people are classified as people who have no one to care for them. Okay. Now, we live in a society where we have, thankfully, in some ways, we have instituted what we call the social safety net Okay, that's supposed to catch all these people all right? as a society. Okay, as a governing body, which means it's made up and instituted of a bunch of men who came up with this, which means it's never going to be perfect. But it's this idea that these people have no one to care for them, therefore they need someone. And what do we do? We institute it as a governmental kind of institution. Okay, Social Security, disability, welfare, all those kind of things. But God had already been talking about this way on back. So thousands of years ago, God had already instituted this kind of social safety net with his people in Israel. He had said there are people, there's a groups of people who have no one to care for them, and therefore I want you to care for these people. Okay, You should have a heart for doing that. You should have a desire for doing that. And so that's what you see. Now, unfortunately... As we see in multiple examples of Israeli history, and also, which we could very much extrapolate into our own history, um, it didn't work out that well. Because they didn't seem to keep it that well. They started finding little ways they could wiggle around it, and ways they could say, oh yeah, but if I, you know, I don't do this, then, you know, and they kind of started sliding away. And actually, if you read through some of the prophets who were prophesying about Israel's destruction, you get into things like Haggai, and you get into... Um, those kind of areas, what they are, what they actually condemn Israel for, and one of the main points that comes back over and over and over and over again. It, yes, they had Baal worship. Yes, they had Ashtaroth worship. Yes, they had golden calves. Yes, they were marrying, you know, Canaanite women, all these other things. But you know what's another important point that seems to outweigh them all as you read through those? He goes back and says, You have failed to execute judgment for the poor and the needy. You have failed to help these people. You have failed to... And those are the things that he is holding against them. And you know, if you've read through what they call the minor prophets, those aren't big books, are they? There's not a lot of script. I mean, you got a Isaiah, and I mean, he's going on for, you know, 60-something chapters. And it's all... I mean, but you go to Haggai, and you go to Malachi, and you go to Obed, and those kind of things. It's very small books. And out of all of their very short, condensed sermons, caring for the poor and the needy comes up as an accusation against Israel as to why you're getting carried away into Babylonian and Assyrian captivity because you failed to do what God told you to do in respect to caring for people who had no one to care for them. You did not plead the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And in fact, as you fast forward then all the way to the New Testament, we get to James. And in James, that's what he says is pure religion. To keep oneself unspotted from the world and to care for the fatherless and the widows. You just see this 
theme just recurring throughout the whole scripture. God cares for these people and we should care for these people as we are followers of God. It's a very simple A plus B equals C mathematic equation. And I almost, I was thinking about that if I was going to get that right, like A plus B equals E squared or something if I was going to mess that up. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the equation we see. If God does it, we should do it. If God commands it, we should do it. If God gave it as an example, we should live that example out. So he lifts those four different people, four different people groups. And there's some scriptures that we'll read real quickly this to kind of reiterate this point. Because this is where God is telling Israel, these are my people, these are who you care for. Leviticus chapter 25, he says, And if thy brother be waxen poor and fall in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him. Yea, thou uh, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that would be that refugee, that he may live with thee. There's a principle there that he establishes in Leviticus, which is right. I mean, we're right outside of Egypt's doors, okay? And he says, this is how you're to interact with these people. And these people are his brothers at this point. And there's, you can get into it. We might get into it at some point about years of Jubilee, seven-year uh, Sabbaths when you turn around and you relieve people of their debts. You let people have their land back. All these things. There was this beautiful social justice thing that God established with Israel. Okay? So what are, who are we to care about? Say, well, we're not the Israeli nation. We don't follow after the laws of Leviticus. We don't do those things. Okay. But God seemed to think it was pretty doggone important, don't you think? And God even reiterates it. If you want to say, well, where is it in the New Testament? We just read it from James chapter 1. It's there. So now we come back to it. If God told us to do it, what are we doing? Are we caring for these people? Do we care for these people? Do we have a heart and a desire for these people? And that includes all four groups, poor, needy, fatherless, widows, and refugees and immigrant kind of people would be what the sojourner would be. Do you care for these people? Do we love these people? Do we have compassion for these people? Do we desire to help these people? These would be the things that we're looking at. So we do things like we look at uh, places like here in Jasper, like the Pregnancy Resource Center, and we look at those kind of things and say, okay, here's a group of people that um, in some cases you think it's only about abortion and keeping people from having abortion and those kind of things. No, a lot of it is education and prenatal care for people who cannot afford it. Okay, Helping people who do not have the ability, who think there's no other way, who think they don't have access to anything else. Well, man, that's something we should support, and I'm glad that we do. What other things around here do we see that helps these people? How do we help the homeless in Jasper? Well, we don't have any homeless. Oh, yeah, yeah, we do, okay? How about poor and needy? Do we have that in Jasper? I'm going to guarantee it. Unfortunately, sometimes we stay in certain sides of Jasper, and we don't see every other side, okay? But they're there. I'm going to wager a bet we've got some widows in Jasper. What do you think? And I know that you know we have immigrants in Jasper. How do we care for these people? That should be our desire. How do we care for these people? Other scriptures that follow along with this that is important for us to kind of grab because when you look at how God thinks about this, it's not just I want you to consider these people if you have an opportunity. It's more God saying I treasure and protect and help these people so you better take care of them. 
Proverbs 23, a verse that, you know, you've probably heard a thousand times but might not have thought about it in this way of which it's really talking about. Proverbs 23, 10 through 11, he says, Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is mighty. He shall plead their cause with thee. Now, a lot of times you'll just catch the very first little five words of that verse and people say, oh, see, this is why you don't change things in the church. Well, it actually has nothing to do with the church, okay, as far as changing anything in the church. has zero to do with traditions of the church or church. It has nothing to do with that. It has very much to do with the landmarks that were established as borders to people's land. And when they fell and became poor in Israel, what other less than worthy people would do is go in and say, oh, well, let's just scoot that bad boy over a few more hundred yards. Let me, since you're poor and you really can't argue with me, fight me, do anything about it, I'm just going to kind of steal some of your land away from you. And he says, who is there that's going to argue with me? You're poor. You're needy. You don't have the authority, the power, the money, the grab, the, the whatever it is to fight me on this. What are you going to do about it? Okay. And what God says is, their Redeemer is mighty. You know who their Redeemer is? God. And he says, their Redeemer is mighty. He shall plead their cause with thee. And let me just tell you, you don't want to have that conversation. So he says, we are not to be looking at these people. We're not to be looking at poor, needy, widow, you know, those kind of people. We, do, we look at them in the way that God looks at them. God looks at them in a mighty redeemer type of way. God looks at them with compassion. God, and that's how we are called to help and to serve and to do. So you look at 2 Corinthians, we have a very good a very good section of scripture in 2 Corinthians that talks about giving and we've probably been over this before but it's important for us to kind of remember where he says, "But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according to as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful Giver, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What is that? That we have the opportunity to help other people. People. He says it's not only just supplying the necessity of these people, it's actually a blessing, a praise, and a glorifying of God. Our actions, as he tells us in Matthew chapter 5, when we do our good works, when we do our righteousness before men, what does he say the recourse of that is? What does he say the recourse of us doing our good works before men is? That they may see your good works and do what? Glorify God. So he says, and we've, you know, we've been over this before because we went through 2 Corinthians, but, you know, it is, as, as you read those sections of scripture there real quick, as we just kind of land on this, that as every man a purposeth in his heart, so let him give. That is not choose how much you want to give and be happy about it. Okay. That's not what that section of scripture means. It's not saying that if you don't, if you don't think you'll be happy giving $10, we'll only give five. We only want you to give what you're happy giving. Okay. That is not what that scripture is saying. 
It's saying decide in his heart, not reluctantly or of compulsion. So the decision in your heart is, are you going to do what God told you to do? Or are we going to be kind of, "Mm, I'm not sure about this. I'm kind of reluctant to give. We saw two people who were reluctant to give all that they had in Acts and God struck them dead at the door. Okay. So there was a, the reluctancy there is, am I really on board with doing this as God has commanded me to do? Or am I kind of like, well, you know, but if I give that, if I give all of that, I mean, am I really, I mean, what, what's going to happen and how am I going to be able to afford this and that? He says, no, when you are going to give, whatever that is, okay, and we've talked before about 10%, 5%, whatever it is, we've talked about though, when you give it, you give it out of a heart that's desiring to help other people in the name of God. That's the desire, okay? Not reluctantly, not holding it back, going, well, I'm just not sure this is going to work out very well. No, you give out of a free and desirous heart. And if your heart is reluctant, then pray God change your heart. And not grudgingly, reluctantly, not of necessity or compulsion. It shouldn't be just a compulsory Thing. Now, I think there is kind of a side of it that we should lay it out as our framework that I am absolutely going to give whatever each month 10% to the church. Okay. And that's not just or to what, you know, whatever we're, we're talking about in specific, but not just a, a compulsory thing is not just that we are giving it on a scheduled basis. That's not what he's speaking of there. He's saying you're not doing it out of a root just routine okay you're not just doing it because you're supposed to do it you're not just doing it because it's oh well good little christians give 10 percent every month and that's why you're giving no he says i want you to have a desire for this i want you not to be reluctant in this i don't want you to do it just out of compulsion like someone's forcing you to do it because you really don't want to but if you don't how are you going to say you're a good christian that's not the reason the desire should be to have a loving heart that wants to do this as we said, if your heart's not there, then pray about it. Pray about that. God, remove whatever reluctancy I have. What is it of the devil that's holding me back from this? What is it that is of my whatever nature, my fleshliness, my, uh, you know, whatever it is. What is it that is holding me back from doing what you would have me to do? Remove it, Father. Because there's beautiful blessings in this. He says that he that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. But he that soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. That's not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel thing. That's just math of the kingdom of God. God says, if you sow more in, I promise you, I will bless you bountifully from that. This isn't sowing a seed of a thousand to get a million dollars in your bank account. That's not what this is. He's not talking about anything for you. Okay? He's saying as you sow into the kingdom, as you sow into living out what God has established as the activities of Christians daily life, he says as you sow bountifully into that, I promise you you're going to reap bountifully. Now please someone raise their hand and say, oh no, I'd rather have a sparing reaping today. Okay? Give me a little bit. I don't need a lot. You know, you want to quote some kind of contentment verse at me or something. No, I'm, I'm just going to tell you. When people see and know the blessings of God, they want more of it. Amen. We want more of it. How many of us in here would raise our hands and say, no, I'm okay with just being blessed a little bit. And God, really, you don't need to pour anything out. out. So, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm okay with a meager relationship with you. 
I'm okay with you working in my life just a little bit, you know. Maybe help me here or there, you know. Maybe if some big things come up. But daily life, you can just walk away and let me just take control. Uh, excuse me? Is that really what you want? How much do we want God to take his hand off the wheel? I mean, that's why we got that song. Jesus, take the wheel, baby. All right? We want you to take the wheel. Take it. Drive it for me. Okay? Don't let me have this thing on my own. I can't do it by myself. I can't do it alone. I can't do it in my own way. If I do, I know this is going to this is going to turn out bad. That's what he says. I said before you, life and death. You know what the life was? You follow me and do what I say. And as we see through the Old Testament example, what did God do? As they were following after him, God is all over them while they're traveling. He's blessing their shoes not to fall off and and wear out. He's blessing their lives. He's keeping them healthy. He's coming down every single day in either a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire. He never left them. So how do you... How do we feel about reaping sparingly? We want the bountiful harvest. Proverbs 11, it will say, The liberal soul, or that there is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than his meat, but is tended to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. It's a beautiful statement that says, basically, there's those people who save and scrimp and they don't want to give because they're stingy and they're very obsessed with their money. And you know what? They still end up poor. You say, well, how does that work? I mean, they're keeping all their money. Yeah, they're still poor. Okay. But there's those people who are constantly giving out and you say, man, that's like a sieve. It's never going to be able to fill up if you're letting it go that quickly. And yet somehow they're just as rich as can possibly be. How does that work? Well, that's just... As they would say, that's just kingdom economics. That's how God works with his math. Okay. Same thing with creation. It wasn't one plus one equals two. Okay. It was zero plus one equals everything in the whole universe. Okay. There was nothing and he added something and here we all are. Yeah. So his math doesn't always work the way that we think it should. Okay. I think we were talking Wednesday night. A day for the Lord is like a thousand years. You know, I mean, it's just everything doesn't match up like we would want it to. But here he says, the liberal soul shall be made fat. See, now you thought that conservatives and liberals weren't in the Bible. And here you go. Now you've got to be a liberal so you can be fat. I don't know if that would actually work, though. Do you want to be fat in our, like, carb-conscious society that we're in today? I don't know. The liberal soul shall be made fat. The one that is giving out liberally is blessed bountifully. So how do we apply this? Number one, we pray. You got to be able to pray for these things. You got to take time to pray for these things. We pray that God would give us opportunity to give. We pray that God would work in our heart so that when we are giving, we are giving in the right way, that we're desiring to give. Okay? And then how do we actually give? You know, we talk about those people that stand in need. We talk about, and I, and I, I didn't say this, but I meant to, those four categories of people are the people we always think about when we talk about giving, right? Those are the four categories. God says, I need to give. Okay, well, now let's take our money and how are we going to do that? We're going to give to this homeless shelter. We're going to give to this poor person. We're going to maybe do this, that. Okay, so we, we usually narrow in on that. But you know that that is not the sum total of our giving. That's not all the categories of people. You know what else we are to give to? Brothers and sisters who are not necessarily bad off. 
who aren't necessarily below the poverty line. We're to give to them. We're to give to those, you know, the widows aren't just people who are destitute out in our community. There's widows in each church. We're to give to everyone generously. That's what he says there in Matthew chapter 5, even to our enemies. Oh, now we keep coming back to that, don't we? We keep circling back to that thing. We're having a hard enough time giving to our poor people in Jasper, let alone our enemies in Jasper. Hey, now how are we going to make that work? But here's how I listed out about six different things on giving. You give time, taking time to stop and help someone, taking time to not just be so engrossed in ourselves that we have to go, 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 do, 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 get everything checked off today, but actually stopping and taking time to help someone, whatever it is, wherever it is, however it is. Giving patience that we don't, that we are patient in attention of what's going on around us. That we're not just rushed to accomplish things, but we actually take time, as they would say, you take time to smell the roses. You give patience to stop and listen to what someone's actually saying, to actually engage in the conversation so you're not just blowing them off, okay? That you give blessings, as he says to us about our enemies, that you bless those. You bless those that persecute you, bless those that uh, despitefully use you, bless your friends, bless your neighbors, bless your mama and your granny. Bless those. Give blessings. As the disciples were sent out in twos by Christ, it says every house that you go into, if you were received there, you bless that house. So what are we supposed to do? Walk in there like holy water or something? No, you, you bless them with communicating godliness and righteousness to them. You bless them and giving them a cup of water as one example Christ gives. You bless them and giving them some food as another example Christ, Christ gives. You bless them in visiting them while they're in prison. Okay? I guess you could take that both literally and kind of metaphorically. But we're a blessing to those as we enter in and we speak the things of God. As we help through activities that we've talked about this morning. We're to give liberally, and that we're not that we should not be hindered, we should not restrict, that we should sow much and expect to reap much, that when we are doing these things, we're doing them in a generous, gracious mentality. Are we glad that God was generous and liberal in his giving? You say, oh, well, look, you know, he gave all these things. He gave Israel all this land and stuff. He gave all that. Yeah, and it says that he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. He gave very, very liberally. I guess you could say he sowed pretty bountifully, too. And he reaped pretty bountifully because through Jesus Christ, he claimed all of the family that had been seen and loved and cherished and chosen from the foundation of the world. That's a pretty bountiful reaping, wouldn't you say? And in fact, that same kind of idea is carried on when he talks about the end of the world where the angels come back to reap the harvest. Kind of beautiful pictures there. We should give the gospel. That's simple enough, isn't it? <laughs> Talk about being blessings to other people, giving the gospel, giving the gospel message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only thing in which we find peace in God. And that we give broadly. You know, there's people, and there's little ideas as we kind of draw this to a close. There's ideas that people have. And all of them are good. And I think they're great things to do. And I would encourage everybody to do them. That you find a way to work this into your own life. Okay? Everybody, I know this is shocking. 
has different lives. They do different things. Some of y'all get to sleep till like 8 o'clock, and I get woken up every morning at 6.30, okay? No matter what, no matter how late they stay up, they still wake up at 6.30, okay? So, you know, just, you know, pray about that. But give according, you know, you're giving in the manner in which God has called you and blessed you in your place in your life, okay? So some of us are at jobs and we work. Well, there's, there's opportunities to give there, not just to people you interact with who are customers or patients or whatever, but also to coworkers and those kind of things. There is the ideas that people have that about when I, we talk about like giving broadly and thinking broadly in it, there's people who will come up with little bags that they will give to homeless people as they drive down the road. Okay, I think that's a wonderful idea. All right. Something I would encourage all of us to try to do. I feel like now all of us are going to be like scouting around in Jasper and everything for all the homeless people. We're going to see like 15 backpacks on them. I think that'd be great, okay? But, you know, this is the idea of what are you, how are we working this out? We can talk about them as great principles, but how do we put them into effect? Well, this is one way. Make a little backpack up. Make a backpack up that's got some socks and maybe a pair of shoes or uh, some shirts or uh, a Bible in them. I would encourage that highly. Or maybe it's got some non-perishable food. You know, those kind of things. Work it into a little backpack. Hand it out to people you see standing begging. People who are on the corners of the street. People who you know don't have a place. Well, stop and give that to them. Take time to do that. So you can hand out Bibles. We've talked about gift cards before. It's a great idea. Get some gift cards for the gas station. The people come up and say, hey, I need 20 bucks for gas. All right, here you go. Here is your gift card for gas, okay? Gift cards to grocery stores. Gift to those kind of things that you have, people that you see that you are nowhere in need, then do that. We talked briefly about supporting organizations that support others. We talked about the pregnancy center. There's other things. There's Hope uh, Kitchen. There's Hope for Women. There is uh, Hope uh, Clinic that's... Actually, in need of some giving <laughs> uh, because they have lost their support financially and they aren't open right now. So these are these are things right here in our community that we can give to. Give not only monetarily, but also give our time. You know, Hope for Women is a place that you can support. Hope, Hope Kitchen is a place where you can go in and do devotions with people who come there. All these are great things that are right here in Jasper, Alabama. Okay? And I love, I love big organizations. Okay? Love the World Vision. You know, we've been a part of World Vision for about 10 years now, okay? So that's a great thing to be a part of. It's a great thing to be a part of things like we talk about with Sweetwater. There's one that's Red Mountain Grace, which is in down, which is in Birmingham that helps people. I mean, those are all great organizations that are right near and around us. But some of these things are right here in our community with people here that need help. And we are here to help them because that is what we are called to do. So give locally, give internationally, give time, give service, give prayers. But we need to give. That is what we're called to do. We practically put this into play every Sunday because usually every Sunday we'll say, hey, throw something in the pot. Throw something in the, uh, in the collection plate because it's going into the church And it's not going into the church to help put bigger lights, taller steeples, whatever it is on this church. I think we can all look at this church and this building and say, okay, we're not going for grand and glorious here, okay? Uh, We don't, we have not, you know, renovated for a sauna, okay? Um, So the money is not going for that. It's definitely not to make your pastors wealthy, okay? Um, Or driving Bentleys, all right? Honda Odyssey, okay? We're not, we're not naming and claiming it, okay? 
but the money that is here and something that we have not always done good at in the past, but we are definitely, hopefully, prayerfully getting better at and hopefully we'll get even better at, better at, more better, isn't that the word? And more better at. That we are taking the money that you are giving to the church and that we are making a conscious effort to give it back out to those who are in need in our own community, those who are in need of our own church, okay? But also finding those places around here that we are helping to support to hopefully make a difference in Jasper, Alabama. So I hope these things, we have thought about these things, we'll continue to think about these things. My goal originally was to try to speak on giving, praying, and fasting all in one time, and that's, you know, obviously didn't happen. So we'll look at that again. But I want you to really think and focus on giving this week and take time to pray, take time to set aside time in your day to pray and desire and think about how am I giving, how am I supposed to give, and how can I give on a day-to-day basis. And may God bless us to think on these things.